Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And today we're getting literary. <laughs> We should have practiced that better. On record, I want to say I'm not down with this title. I love this title. (laughs) We could have called it an undead discussion. No, but it's classic. It's the first time we've delved into true iterations of original monsters. I would consider these films probably the, the two that are closest to their source material, at least attempting to be. Sure. I would have to agree with you too, but only now that I've read the first paragraph of the Wikipedia entry to each of the novels. Like, I'm pretty sure I've started both of these books and put them both down. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, growing up, I actually had a gigantic book, which was both of these together. And I got halfway through maybe each of them and went, mm-hmm. Wow. I read both of these books in high school. And Oh, oh well, okay, so, Jesus, I don't even, <laughs> I don't know how I forgot that. Yes, definitely read Frankenstein in high school. Yeah, I still have my copy that's, highlighted and Did got you steal has... it? No, I bought it. Oh. What? <laughs> oh, I just remember them handing books out in school. Oh. Like, here, this is your copy. No, and I even have notes that I wrote in it from the essay I was writing. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't remember what it was, so please don't ask. That's fine. <laughs> I barely remembered both books, even having read them, so it was interesting re-watching both films and recalling the novel and being like, I don't think that's how this goes down, but we're just gonna, okay. What I find hilarious <laughs> about that, about both of these, really, they are written in such an old-timey way, where it's like at the beginning... Well, it was the 1800s. <laughs> okay, sure, obviously, it was an old-timey time. But, but like, the idea of storytelling, it's like you needed to explain everything. A character sits down and you have to explain the room that he's sitting in and what he's doing and what his family lineage was. And in Frankenstein, it is literally a character tells another character his life story, who then relays a story where he meets another character who then tells him his life story. 
Like, it's a mirror in so a mirror. So what you're just... trying to say is they are boring. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite. And, like, this is coming from somebody who likes David Foster Wallace and has tried to read Proust. I don't really read much anymore. Yeah. Which is really unfortunate because... Uh, I like to read, and I read quite quickly, but you need time, whether or not you read quickly, to read. <laughs> I wish I could read as fast as you. It hurts me so much. There have been few occasions where we're reading the same book, and you are weeks ahead of me. Uh, you will finish a book, and a month and a half later, I, I will finally get halfway through. But there's a difference. You can retain <laughs> things that you consume with your eyes or with your brain. I hold them and I can discuss them and articulate what I've read but three weeks later it's gone. It's been replaced by something I saw on the internet. Probably a cat video. <laughs> yeah, a little behind the scenes here. We have to record episodes immediately after watching the films. We do. We were going to record today in a different order because we have a couple intros that we need to record and I just read about both of these novels so I was like, we have to record right now. <laughs> I like to imagine that inside your head it's somebody just holding a pile of information and at some point there's, the pile becomes too big so whatever is on the bottom just gets like thrown It's like aside. a coal chute. Somebody's just shoveling <laughs> it into an incinerator. <laughs> you only have as long as it takes for it to just disappear before it's gone forever. Yeah. I like to think it makes me more intelligent. I think Like I'm all... like a sponge, but uh, the sponge is limited. So I have to expunge the sponge. Got it. Mm-hmm. So. Uh-huh. Uh, what's keeping you creepy this week, John? So this last weekend, we finally got a chance to sit down with some friends and play The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31 from Mondo, and easily... My new favorite board game. Yeah, the only problem is it is a four-player game, so you do have to round up some friends to play it, which is kind of hard for us. We're typically two-player board game players because we just play on the fly. We're going to be like, uh, I don't want to be on my computer anymore. Grab a board game. It's hard to get enough people which, together to play a board game. Sometimes. Yeah, this one's definitely more of like a board game party. You have to designate a night for it because it is, I think, about a two-hour game as well. Yeah, and typically if you've got friends together, maybe you're having drinks, a sit-down game like this is always ideal. You want to play something quick, something like Cards Against Humanity or something. Yeah, well, and especially if people are drinking and stuff. Intensive board games need to happen very early on in the night, because otherwise people just get chatty and talkative and drunk. <laughs> especially with this, there are a lot of rules. You need to hunker down. Yeah, we watched several videos before we even attempted to play, and it went a lot smoother because we did. Also, we're pretty familiar with board games, so this one felt um, it had a lot of rules similar to previous games we played. There's a board game, if you're into horror board games, called Dead of Winter, which is a zombie survival type board game. Outpost at 31 has rules pretty similar to that game. It's different. It's got its own unique quirks, and the journey of the gameplay is different, but the system of supplies and missions and stuff is very similar to that, so it allowed us to catch on pretty quickly. Yeah, the game mechanics are very similar to other games you've played. It's just a matter of figuring out what order to do things. And at first it seems too simple. Like, you figure, you think you're doing it wrong. Like, you're missing a step. Yeah. But it gets progressively harder. Then it gets really hard, and you're like, oh my god, we're gonna lose. And then we did lose. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad there isn't a two-player variant of this game, because it would completely ruin it. One person out of your group is infected, is the thing. It's an imitation. And as you progress through the game, there are more opportunities for other characters to become infected. And having that level of secrecy completely throughout the game is 
awesome. It be, it makes this added level of suspicion and table talk. There's a lot of back and forth. It, it just adds a social layer to a board game that is strategic also, which is a new kind of thing for me. I'm not used to... I mean, if you want to play a suspicion game, you play One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Right. But that doesn't have a lot of strategy involved. So this, you get the best of both worlds in that you're actually playing a game where you're working towards a mission and a final goal. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of cooperative, but not really at all. This is my favorite. Yeah, like you are working as a team, but one of you is trying to fucking sabotage the whole team at every turn. And the hard hard part is trying to not be found out. When we played, I eventually became the imitation. It was so obvious about it. I, I know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I did not play my hand well, unfortunately. <laughs> but I totally fucking ruined that base. They died. It was the end of humanity. And I'm to thank for it. <laughs> We're actually going to be playing it again this coming weekend. It is Thursday at release. We're going to be playing it again on Saturday. And if we can... Uh, Get it set up. We will be live streaming it on Instagram. That's at Nightmare on Film Street on Instagram. Hit us up Saturday evening. We don't have a time yet. We will un- we'll announce it on social media if it's happening. We're going to try to set up a tripod and get it all organized so you can watch a playthrough of the game, which would be great if you haven't seen the game. Also, we don't really do live stuff very often, and I yeah. think it'll be uh, fun. It might be completely embarrassing. There's but... a pretty good chance, yeah. Yeah. Nominations have wrapped up for the 2017 Freddy Awards, and we are compiling all of your top picks into the voting round, which starts January 29th over at nofspodcast.com slash freddies. Head on over and get your vote in for the 2017 Freddy Awards. Lastly, I want to give a big shout out to our new patron, Luke. Luke, thank you so much for your pledge. If you were a reanimated corpse that I brought back to life, that I forced to slip around like Bambi on a really gross, gooey floor, I wouldn't hang you from the rafters. I wouldn't condemn you, and I wouldn't cast you out. I would treat you like my son. <laughs> we would play catch together. We'd go camping. You know, who knows? Maybe we drowned a girl while we are out there in the forest. You know, father-son stuff. Thank you again, Luke. You are a true fiend. If you want to support the show, head to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. There's tons of goodies and rewards in return for your monthly pledge of the show. All right, let's talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula. What are you? Vampires do exist. This one we fight, this one we face. Can take on many forms. He is both young and old. He can appear as mist, as vapor, as the fog. And he can vanish at will. The power of his evil desire has no end. From 1992, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, based on the 1897 novel by Bram Stoker, hence Mm -hmm. the title, currently sitting at a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, a 76% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, 3 out of 4 Eberts, and 3.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Okay, I will come out and say, before we get into anything regarding Dracula, I'm not a huge Francis Ford Coppola fan. I don't know why... His movies are tiring. And, okay, well, I I should preface that by saying I have not seen all his films. But the ones I have watched that are usually considered his best are 
exhausting. Even The Godfather and The Godfather 2, which I do actually enjoy, but like Apocalypse Now, I'm probably never going to watch that movie again. I get this lethargic feeling that just hangs over me the whole time where I'm just drained of energy watching his films, and I don't know why. Yeah, uh, I will agree that is true for this film, but don't you touch my mob movies. <laughs> Godfather is awesome. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, it's and great. I, I think it all comes down to his style of filmmaking. He is very much tied to source material and trying to do justice to the original story. Mm. So it at least seems that there's a want to keep as much intact as possible, which is why this film feels very muddled busy and the storylines go all cray and you're just wishing and hoping there was a single thread you could follow and that it would end at two hours <laughs> yeah it's definitely not happening i both love and hate this movie and i'm i'm displaying my cards real early here but i think i should say it because it's really hard for me to get you to watch this film me and personally yes yeah i always want to watch it wow because visually i love this movie the styling is really cool, and it's got this haunty gothic thing. Especially the first 40 minutes when we're in Dracula's castle. Love it. But the story just bothers me. <laughs> what about the story? Like, what what is it in particular that bothers you? It's hard to criticize the movie because I'm not 100% on which decisions came from the book and which are original to this movie. So I don't want to give the film too much flack for its story. Other than that, it tried to tell too much of it. Mm. But... It's too much. The ideals of women are outdated. The entire second half of the film, I'm frustrated at how and why the story moves to where it does. I know everybody's under the power of Dracula, but the decisions made are not decisions at all. We just live in this limbo uh, where three characters who have guns and Van Helsing <laughs> are chasing after Dracula while Jonathan and Mina, who are our two main protagonists, are just floating around in this refusing-to-act state, and they're terrible protagonists. They really are. In our little preamble here, yes, I will say, I don't like this movie um <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say it is so well received by the horror community and just by like film fans i have a hard time getting behind this it's movie. not without its flaws though i think everybody can agree on where this movie is lacking and yeah. that's probably in some of the casting and the the story getting bogged down by itself yeah for me it and I've said it to you like a hundred times, it feels like seven different movies. It feels like there are seven directors on set, and this director handled this storyline, and this director handled this scene, and there is just way too much happening in this movie. It's as if every trick that he has in his playbook is on the screen. We are watching what he might have considered his last film, and everything he's ever learned and acquired is up there, and I just, it's, it's too much for me. I, I do think I find more of an appreciation for it each time I watch it. And maybe that's just because I find smaller things that I think are very smart choices and a really interesting direction in some of the scenes. But especially this time, I really could not get over the cast. If I could, if I could find one thing to really point out that I think is something I was really impressed with this time around, which is something right at the beginning of the movie, is the lighting department. I think the lighting <laughs> department are, are the real heroes in this story. 
all of the effects done visually on set in in those opening sequences with like the silhouettes and the war, all of the the impaling and just Dracula's backstory. It looks incredible, and the score is just ominous and oppressive, and it's such a weird, dark tone to start your movie. And I really enjoyed it this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let's start going through the plot. We'll try to keep it pretty abridged because Dracula is a pretty meaty tale. Yeah. A meaty tale of letters and diary entries. <laughs> so yeah, we start with, we're going to call him Dracula throughout the whole thing. He's not Dracula at this point. He's Vlad the Impaler in quotations because not actually, but maybe based off of. Oh, I see what you're saying. He's head of some Dracules. <laughs> <laughs> With the weirdest armor, right? Like, who I makes... like that armor, John. Oh, okay, I get you like it, but who goes... Okay, you know, now that I'm saying it, like, if, if I'm going to battle and some guy is coming toward me and it looks as though he is just muscle tissue and he's got devil horns, yeah, I'm probably gonna be scared. It's very cool aesthetically, and I know it doesn't really go because he's still... A warrior for the Lord at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and right? he's wearing this devil costume. <laughs> but damned if it doesn't look awesome. And I have to say, I do like Gary Oldman. I know. Okay, do you like Gary Oldman's performance or do you like Gary Oldman's face? Uh, like, do you, I didn't do you... consider <laughs> if I liked his face. I like his performance. Okay, I, I just mean, like, as Dracula, do you think he looks great as Dracula, or do you think he is Dracula on screen? The character of Dracula in this movie is a very interesting representation. Visually, all of his costume changes and character changes, I love them all. Okay. I know that weird Victorian Dracula with his 80s sunglasses isn't historically <laughs> accurate, but... He looks like he's going to go watch The Smiths live in 18th century London. <laughs> if he showed up at a The Cure concert, nobody would bat an eye. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it looks great. Old Dracula is my favorite thing ever, and maybe it's that I really like the guy who did the shadows for Dracula more than I like Gary Oldman, but fuck, it's cool. It's so hard to hate things when they're cool. Okay, so you like Gary Oldman? Cool. He comes back because he's he's defeated everybody, right? He's he's killed thousands in the name of the Lord because what God wanted more than followers and praise is fucking blood. Right? Well, it's Old Testament God. That's actually what he wanted. Old Testament God was a dick, right? <laughs> like Old Testament you God. You can't call God a dick on the internet, John. I mean, you could, but you shouldn't. So yeah, message gets sent that he has died in battle, and he's lost, which is not true. Fake n even, even Fake back in, in the turn of the century, or the 1412, just after the fall of Constantinople. Uh, yeah, fake news still ruining the day. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth was on Facebook, and she's like, oh no, Dracula's dead! Sad emoji. <laughs> so she hurls herself off a cliff and dies all beautifully. Mm. They have her laying, her corpse laying in front of the chapel. Yeah. And she's got a trickle, at the teeniest trickle of blood. Yeah, so she falls hundreds of meters, I assume, right? Artistic choice, John. It, okay, yeah. Actually, did you notice anything interesting about that shot? What? Which I don't think I had ever noticed. I did not. It is the exact same shot that Mike Doherty takes for the bus going off the cliff in Trick or Treat. Because we're in the room with Elisabetta, where she jumps out the window, we track through the room, out the the window and then down to see her falling into like the abyss. I'm gonna be honest with you, mm -hmm. after the third 
pinhole to moon shot in this movie, I stopped paying attention to the scene transitions. Because they just, every scene transitions into the next in this eloquent, beautiful, cinematic way. Yeah. That I go eye blind to them and Mm -hmm. I do not see them. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, every idea they had that was thrown up on the board got shot. Oh no, this movie is Velcro and um, Francis Ford Coppola was throwing cotton balls at it. That's brilliant. Because, I mean, some of those ideas are brilliant. Taking a quick transition from the bite marks on Lucy's neck into his eyes. Like, that's genius, right? And it works with the gothic fiction. Like, it's a little cheesy. The eyes in the sky when Jonathan's on the train. and That all looks amazing. Yeah, but even... it's a little hokey, but it looks amazing. Well, yeah, it's like the specter of Dracula is always looming over them, right? There's a shadow cast over their entire lives once he enters it. And he is this oppressed force that is watching over them like the fucking eye of Sauron in the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) So my favorite part in this movie is probably the first travel sequence when Jonathan, who is a real estate whatever, is going to... Yeah, he's a solicitor? Is that the term? I don't know. So what what you mean to tell me is that if he arrived at Dracula's castle and Dracula had one of those like old people signs that every old person has that says no solicitors on their door, (laughs) he'd have to turn away? Is that what it is? Well, I think he's been hired, but sure. (laughs) So, Jonathan is traveling by train from England to Transylvania, I'll assume. Yep. And the storytelling, the visual storytelling during the transit scenes are amazing. Though the visual effects do get pretty heavy-handed throughout the film, they look really good in this scene. Yeah, this this is a scene that I find no fault in. And despite the fact that I have some complaints about how the rest of the movie plays out, I think it perfectly sets the stage for what you should expect to see in the, the remaining two and a half hours. Well, in the level of strange fantasy, once he gets inside Dracula's castle, we're set with the diary entry that he's writing, that he's narrating to us. With the train, you have the map projected on the inside of the train car Mm -hmm. there's the stuff in the sky it's spooky and fantastical and not everything that's there visually is there in the room Mm -hmm. of these characters it sets you up for some of the metaphysical things that start to occur because when he gets to dracula's property He's pushed into a carriage by this macabre moving arm and shit just gets weird from there And it's small things, right, that are happening around Jonathan Harker that if you were him, you might shrug off as saying, oh, I'm just not accustomed to the land. Things are a little strange. It's just because I'm not at home. And this weird-ass guy wants me to stay for a month, despite the fact that my work was done after 20 minutes. Well, and he starts with, write letters to your loved ones. (laughs) I I need you to stay for a month. Also, I need you to write letters saying everything's fine, you're safe. Like, that is... Who goes through with that, right? Yeah. We're supposed to be under the impression that he's under the impression of Dracula. You think so? Yes. Because he doubts him. Because the the entire time when he's writing those letters, he's just like, "I, I feel like I should say something, but I fear Dracula is going to read these letters before mailing them so i won't mention any of my trepidation about being here well he's a human being and also dracula's in his aged state so we're supposed to assume he's weaker he hasn't fed for a long time so his will is probably not as strong as when he is courting mina in england 
happened. But the real reason we are frustrated during these scenes where Jonathan just lets shit happen to him is because Keanu Reeves does a terrible job. Yeah. And I don't think Keanu Reeves is a bad actor. I no. normally appreciate his blank-faced stoicism in when he's properly cast. He really adds to... Let's talk about John Wick. John Wick has had so much happen to him that he's got this like shell-shocked coldness about him. Yeah. It actually works really well with Keanu Reeves. I don't think I could envision anybody else on the role. But Dracula came... Well, Keanu Reeves was so young and mm. a junior actor. He was Bill and Ted. I see Bill and Ted when I watch this. I feel so bad for him watching this. He looks overwhelmed. Yeah, he's just not the right choice. No. But yeah, he is so miscast, unfortunately. He is struggling to do an English accent. Oh, so struggling. And I think it's the same for Winona Ryder, to yep. be perfectly honest. <laughs> Her acting isn't as, it doesn't remove you out of the movie as much as Keanu Reeves's, but visually I think she looks like a good Mina Harker. I think she's good casting in that sense, but her line delivery, the, I, I don't think it works for me. It does not. A lot of the acting I don't like in this movie, and I think to myself, Francis Ford Coppola took so much painstaking effort into filming this in a traditional way and doing all the effects in camera, all the sets, the costume design, all this authenticity, and he cast actors who can't carry the work, mm -hmm. which just seems like the biggest oversight to me. Can you imagine being an actor like Anthony Hopkins or Gary Oldman? Like, that level of actor, and having to be put on screen beside Keanu Reeves, who's literally ruining every scene you're in. And I, I mean that in the nicest way. It's so way. hard to be mean about it, but right? it's, it's true. When they start to do his old age makeup and his hair and stuff, you're just like, oh, this is getting worse. Or it's just the sheer fact that you have some pieces of dialogue from Dracula that are sinister and really impressive. Like, Gary Oldman is fucking giving his all and then we cut to a reaction shot from Keanu Reeves and you're just like oh like you, you're completely <laughs> taken out of the movie every time he opens his mouth oh yeah. I feel bad for him so that's why I think we don't <laughs> believe the castle persuasion scenes because Dracula completely abandons Jonathan at his castle with his three wives who are these really cool sexually forward women who are feeding off of him and whispering sweet evil nothings mm -hmm. and keeping him basically too weak to do anything. Yeah, they're keeping him a prisoner. You really think that Dracula hasn't fed in a long time and he's super weak? Like, do you think this is like midlife crisis Dracula? Like, that's why he's old? Uh, yeah, and also it's kind of the, like, I'm at home so I can wear leggings as pants thing. <laughs> that's Dracula in jogging pants and with, like, a top knot. Oh my god. <laughs> Old man Dracula. Okay, so like Dracula's walking around in like laundry day outfit. Yeah. For centuries, I yes. guess? And, and then he's he got goes, three wives. And then he goes, yeah, but they're old hat. And then Aww. he goes, because he goes to England, there's all these young trollops who are like, Quincy! And so he needs to Quincy up. Yeah. And gets his long walks of love. Okay. But and before puts leave... on his wolfman. <laughs> you know what's nuts, though? It puts on his wolfman. You know, <laughs> you know what's crazy is that he shows up while the, the brides, the vampire brides, whatever you want to call them, are feasting on Jonathan. And 
He's like, you stay away from him. He's mine here. Instead, the three of you share this single baby. Like, I don't... Times are tough in Transylvania. We couldn't bring three babies? Like... Yeah, but then you get townsfolk knocking at his door with pitchforks and torches okay. and shit. Let, let's just think of this in a supply versus demand context, right? You come home. There is a full pizza on the counter, and I'm just getting into my first slice. And you're like, hey... Leave that pizza alone. It's mine. Instead, eat this single bagel bite that I brought you. Okay, let's put this in context. Queen Elizabeth and her 12 corgis are sitting in the royal dining room table. Got it. Somebody serves her, I don't know, giblets and mash or whatever she eats. And the corgis are like, please, ma'am. And she's (laughs) like, no, eat your rubbish. Because they're only corgis. They get to live at the castle, but they're fucking corgis. I see what you're saying. So these three independent women are not humans, is what you're saying. Well, one of them has two heads. One of them coming one of them out has of her two heads. Head. Yeah, there's that one octopus. Oh, that was weird. Yeah, you're right. That's such a weird reveal there, too, right? Uh, like, all we see are the three of them biting him, drinking his blood, and then when Dracula shows up. Emerging out of the bed spread. <laughs> yeah, because I guess they can appear as smoke. I don't know if they all have the same abilities as Dracula, though. I think that's because he's so ancient and he's the original that he has all these extra wolf, smoke, rats, Batman abilities. So, Dracula's in England. Yeah. This is because he saw Jonathan's locket and was like, Oh, damn, that's Elizabetha! And he goes there on the Demeter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in his soil. It's, it happens. It's not a big deal. Then he gets to... <laughs> no big he, deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he eats them. He eats everybody on that ship, right? <laughs> and he goes and tries to court Mina, who mm-hmm. is the reincarnated version of Elizabeth. But instead of going, you know, right to Mina, as you think you would if you're falling in love and you found your betrothed, oh no, he courts Lucy first. And by courts, I mean turns into a wolf and has sex with her in a graveyard. Okay, so here <laughs> he, here is a great point for us to just step into Francis Ford Coppola's vision of the film. I can only imagine meetings with Francis Ford Coppola and the art department and everybody else involved in the film. Like, okay, so guys, this is what we're going to do. I want the most faithful adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. But... <laughs> And this is a hard butt, and I'm walking out the fucking door if we don't do this. Everything regarding vampires and drinking blood? Erotic nightmare. Why? Yeah, if Why? the women are writhing the last 40 minutes of the film, no good. Yeah, they want that D. <laughs> Dracula. <laughs> I know, I, I had to, I, I needed a quick little pause because the look on your face was priceless. You're like, you're going to fucking say that on the podcast? <laughs> well, we did call it Let's Get Lit. <laughs> yeah, Dracula, he's so thirsty. Um... <laughs> I do want to talk about Lucy because her character is unfortunately hypersexualized. I think she's also supposed to be the youngest person in the movie, right? I am probably. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because she it, she jokes around about how Mina is her older friend, older or younger. I have no fucking idea. Point is, she's just like, I don't have any marriage proposals. Oh, what did she say? I'm uh, I'm twenty. I'm practically a hag. Yeah. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy is my favorite part of this whole film. She's incredible, She's the most well-acted. Totally. Of everyone. Yeah. And even in those erotic nightmares, as as odd as they are. That first one, right, is so goddamn weird. Is that the one where they're running through the the thing with the sex wolf, or...? Yeah, because he's... So he can turn into a wolf, but can also turn into, like, a werewolf. 
Yeah, a serious wolf. A serious wolf. Yeah. Yeah, I don't love it. The sexuality is weird. <laughs> I. It's almost as weird as the incest in Frankenstein. Yeah. But we'll get there. Um, I can get behind it. To be perfectly honest, I, I can see how it fits in the story. I kind of like the idea. It's the execution, I guess, that I don't have, that I'm not nuts about. But this is where the film becomes a stupid high school romance because everybody's making stupid decisions. Yeah. Dracula wants Mina, goes for Lucy. Right. Why? It's the same fucking house. Mina is there. Agreed. And it, it's not as though he needs Lucy for anything. Because there's no additional purpose. It's like he's just doing it for the fuck of for, it. Then to fill 40 minutes of the film. Agreed. Jonathan wants to go get Mina because I assume he knows Dracula's there. But he can't act himself out of the castle. Lucy wants Quincy, but as other suitors. And Mina doesn't know what the fuck she wants. She misses Jonathan, but he hasn't written her in a while because I guess he's too busy being raped by Dracula's brides. But then all of a sudden she's completely mystified by this suitor that is Dracula, but she doesn't know. And she's just a pawn in the entire second half of the film. Yeah, it doesn't quite make sense. That scene where he first meets Mina. Doesn't she see him when he's the wolf and he's like, don't see me. Yeah, right. So <laughs> because he's ashamed that he's like fucking her friend as a wolf creature. Yeah. I would be too. She should whap him with a newspaper. Well, I, I, you know, to be perfectly honest, I don't think we're ever actually supposed to assume that they're having sex. I think that is just the visual interpretation of drinking her blood, which, I mean, realistically, they're mixing bodily fluids, which is where I'm pretty sure that sort of oh. That's essentially what's bridging that gap between... I don't think so, though, because the vampires, especially the female ones, use their sexuality as their main tool. When Mina's turning on the top of that mountain, she, like, disrobes her bodice to seduce Van Helsing at the camp. Agreed. And I don't think that's just a visual trickery. I think she's trying to seduce him. But I'm, I'm, I'm just saying in terms of vampire films in general, and I think the, the seductive vampire has kind of always been there, but definitely more at the forefront now after Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula <laughs> because of the same bullshit argument you see with slasher films. Like, oh, the knife is just a metaphor for his penis and he wants to have sex with these women, but he can't, so he kills them. I hate looking at it like that. I, th I All I'm saying is I think that's why we've gone to like such an erotic take on vampires. Yeah, I, whether don't, or not it I don't know why this film felt the need to be so sexual, but it is. You're right. It is essentially just love triangles colliding on but each other. But it's from people's own silly mistakes. I mean, Dracula's the, he's the queen piece on the chessboard. And he's busy knocking off pawns when the king is open and free. Good point. Did you happen to read it all about Lucy's death in the book? Or do you remember anything about Lucy's death in the book? Maybe? Okay. Do you want to discuss it? <laughs> sure. Allow me if I may. Please do. <laughs> yeah. I will take the floor now if that's all right. So Van Helsing knows right away what's happening when he shows up. In the movie, in the book, same thing. But he keeps it to himself in the book. When Lucy dies, he places a golden crucifix across her lips to either delay or sort of stave off her transition into vampirism. Of course, he finds out later that one of the servants definitely stole that gold cross. Oh. Right. Oh, shit. And haven't babies been missing? Like, so that's the yeah. other thing, right? Children start reporting seeing a beautiful woman lurking around 
around in the dark, luring them away. That's a story I would watch. Like I, I would, would totally read. fucking read yeah. that story. Especially if you picture Francis Ford Coppola's vision of Lucy as the vampire. If yeah. that's the beautiful woman, fuck is that scary. She is terrifying in I want to see that fucking spinoff. Absolutely. <laughs> in the book, that's when he starts to tell them, oh, by the way, She's a vampire. Like, in the in the movie, Anthony Hopkins is, like, drunk, and he's, like, humping their legs. Like, she's a concubine for the devil! And, like, ugh. Okay. The scene I do want to talk about, Lucy's under the influence of Dracula. He visits her in her room while she's already with flu and yeah. blood loss for some mysterious reason. She's writhing in the bed. Her left boob is out the entire scene. Her fiancé and past suitors and her doctor are all in the room trying to calm her down and nobody has the decency to put her poor boob away. The best part about that is that when Anthony Hopkins comes in, he goes, Dear God, cover her up! And nobody no, does! Yeah, and they're like, well, this eventually, right? And he remarks at how young she is because this is the first time he's seen her and he says, She's only a child. Mm-hmm. Her boob is out! Put her boob away! Yeah, she's a child. You Let's not look t- at her boobs. <laughs> I just, ugh, I cannot handle it! Yeah. What do you think about the scene when Lucy actually dies in the movie, though? Because as erotic as it is, I kind of really like that scene. Mm. That's when he turns into a wolf, he jumps in, and rather than seeing him bite her neck as a vampire, we see that as a wolf, he's sort of tearing her throat out almost. And then, you know, right at the climax, wink, wink, there's a gush of blood coming up like waves across the bed. Visually, I thought it was great. It looked like an erotic nightmare, but it's the only time that I thought it actually fit in the movie. I don't love it. Yeah. I think because I'm so eager to see her in her coffin, in her wedding dress. Yeah. And knowing she comes back and how cool she looks, so... Actually, I completely forgot about the scenes, the moments leading up to that, where we're going through the garden, and then we kill a guy who's, like, at watch, and then we go up into the room, and it's all stuttery, like it's... Stop motion, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Looked great. Belongs in a different fucking movie. Yeah. Individually, everything is great. Mm -hmm. Using the old 1800s camera when Dracula first arrives in England and we're going down all the old-timey streets and he's walking around with his 1980s glasses. I can't can't handle it. Um, It looks amazing. Too much. I love when they're in the theater and they're watching the 2D version of the battle that was the original film. Fucking love it. And the shadows on the windows when they're drinking absinthe of all the town outside. It looks like a theatrical play and we're on set with these 2D, 3D sets. That's a terrible description, 2D, 3D, but you know what I mean. Yeah, sure. The illusion of 3D. There you go. Got it. Better. <laughs> no, the movie is super impressive, but it's bogged down by melodrama. I'll give melodrama you that. and poor acting, I would say. Fuck, and both are on display in that absinthe scene. That is an insufferable scene for me, where she's describing this land. Oh, I can see it. It's Beyond like, it the is, forest. It is as though you have already seen it before. And like, ah, he's just, he's just weeping because of his... how much love he has for her and it's uh... well and he's supposed to be this tortured thing because all he wants is her but he doesn't want to force her into this tragic permanent existence that he's living okay but he also gets really rapey and aggressive with her on occasion i have crossed oceans of time for you i like that line i know you like that line the rest of them are annoying but i like that line what if we did the rest of this podcast with with dracula voices better better yet you do dracula i'll be frankenstein (laughs) this movie bad film bad what i love it It looks so lovely. Oh, man. (laughs) 
Okay, no more of that. Are you sound any... like you sound like Tommy Wiseau trying to do Dracula. <laughs> but Lisa, I have crossed oceans of time for you. I did not bite her. I did not. <laughs> oh, hi, Van Helsing. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Are there any other scenes that you wanted to talk about that we did not talk about before we get to ratings? Oh, my God. We haven't talked about any of this I know, movie. but we're getting long. <laughs> okay. Um, I think the scene where he finally tries to turn Mina is 18 minutes too long. Oh, sure is. <laughs> um... You know what? Okay, one thing that I do want to talk about, and I kind of thought about it during that absence scene, which I think is is interesting about the Dracula character in this movie. I don't necessarily love the reincarnation of Mina, and literally, like, the reincarnation of almost every character in the movie. I know that we don't have a Jonathan Harker character in 1412, but Anthony Hopkins is definitely there as, like, his right-hand man, and mm -hmm. I doubt that it's just casting him for the fun of it. Oh, definitely. I believe Van Helsing is the 007 of the Dracula universe. <laughs> yeah. And I don't believe he's eternal, but... Wait, what? Are you trying to tell me that Van Helsing... The Van, like the, the Anthony Hopkins we see at the beginning of the movie, 1412, is the same Anthony Hopkins? No, Hop I said oh. I don't believe he's eternal. I'm so I, sorry. I assume he's an ancestor, but that ancestors of this original guy have been avenging the previous death Got it. by hunting Dracula. I think in Dracula creating this curse upon the world, the, the people closest to him like Voldemort, you know, Harry Potter, yeah. are get tied up in it, and Van Helsing is one of those characters. He becomes the neg the positive to that negative charge. Got it. And he's forced to live out each existence okay. hunting Dracula. That's like his that. life's work. I like that. It's like a blue sa lightsaber versus a red lightsaber. It works. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I like my Voldemort versus Harry Potter I reference, know. but okay. I've, I've kind of gotten into this thing where I like referencing Star Wars now because I know it doesn't track with no, you. Like, uh-huh. Okay, but um, I don't necessarily love that reincarnation of each of the characters, but I did realize that that does, in this film, make Dracula an even more tragic character than I have ever seen him to be, mainly because... Oh, he's so tragic. He denounces God and he throws away everything he has because of the loss of his love. Like, if he can't have her, he doesn't want anything. And rather than killing himself as well, he says, fuck you and everything you stand for. He lives long enough in that darkness as that evil to see her come back. Like, he has lived so many lifetimes that he finally sees her again. And he has the opportunity to be with her and make her that evil, immortal character as well. So what's so awful about that is that if he had have just died and not gone into the darkness, he too would have eventually come back and would have had a chance as a reincarnated version of himself to love Elizabeth, maybe as Mina. Mm -hmm. Like, I think their souls would maybe have one day met up again without such darkness shrouded over them. That's interesting, too, because the reason why he forsakes God is because Elizabeth killing herself makes her no longer wel welcome in the kingdom of God. Oh, my God, I didn't even think about that. He believes oh. she has ended completely, that if he died, he would never see her again. So she's gone regardless in his mind. That's so great. <laughs> um, I don't know why I didn't think of that. So great point. One thing I wanted to tell you that I don't know if you know, in Dracula, the novel, 
There is none of that. There's no reincarnation. No, I know. It, the, the whole love story between him and Mina is gone completely. It's just some dude who goes to London and he's like, these bitches are hot. I'm going to eat their necks. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Which makes more sense that he's going for Lucy first. Yeah. Because whatever. She's just the one that he suffers. Yeah. And it just so happens she has a friend visiting <laughs> She's as well. by a door that's open. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, other than that, uh, one, I think that carriage scene with, with Keanu Reeves in the beginning, if there's a, if there's another documentary that comes out like 7852 analyzing the shower scene in Psycho, oh, yeah. it's gonna be that yes. fucking scene, right? I know. So impressive, <laughs> so incredible. I could do an entire podcast on that scene, I think. Uh, and lastly, the final image of the movie with Dracula as Vlad sort of falling and chasing after Elizabeth, who's, who's fallen as well, like that image of him on the the ceiling of the cathedral, yeah, like the mural, yeah, the mural in the cathedral where it's it, it appears as though Elizabeth has has jumped at the window and he's chasing after her, trying to save her, eternally trying to catch up and be with her again, is a brilliant final image. I thought to they go were just embracing. On. It looked like he was flying toward her almost, mm-hmm. like he was also falling, trying to catch up with her, desperately never being able to do so. Her always out of reach for eternity. That was brilliant. Which is why I find this movie so frustrating, because there are so many aspects of it that I really enjoy, and I look at it and go, five stars! And then other bits where I go, Jesus Christ, I don't know if I could rate this. I know. I've never loved and hated a film simultaneously before. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the plot of the second half of the film. I hate when Mina is semi-turned and she's still working with the protagonist, but she's slowing everybody the fuck down yeah. by being this inactive character she wants dracula because i guess she's the reincarnated version and she knows she's supposed to be with him yeah but present her loves jonathan but why (laughs) and she's just completely inactive so she she hasn't decided which she's semi-turned van helsing's leaking information out of her so they know where to go in transylvania and where dracula is yep and then they get there, and she pulls a gun on everybody. And it's like, why didn't they just kill her if they knew she was going to be a vampire anyways? And it's so dumb, too. You're like, no, let her go. Our work is done. Hers, Hers is, is only just, just begun. begun. And then she chops his head off in 30 seconds, and it's like, that wasn't a lot of work. She just drives that knife a little deeper into his heart, is all. It's poetic for the story of the film, but eh. Yeah. We've gone long on this already. I think we could do an entire podcast... Just talking about this movie. Yeah, I'd like to revisit both films maybe in a couple years once oh, that'd be we, good. Yeah. we've taken a break. Maybe if our opinions have changed or if there's other things we want to talk about. Oh, yeah. I have a thousand other things that I want to say about this movie. Like, of like the eight pages of notes I've taken, we've gone through one page. I know. Visually, I could talk about the film forever because oh, yeah. I love the effects. And I feel we spend a lot of time shitting on the story and the acting and not talking about how amazing some of the effects are. Oh, yeah. There is there is a great behind-the-scenes featurette that's on YouTube. You can check it out. I think it's called In Camera. Um, the special effect, the, the naive special effects of Bram Stoker's Dracula. You should watch it. It's great. But we, we got to get to ratings. Uh, two out of four for me. Okay. Uh, I am also giving this a two out of four. Not hard to do. I, I, I find way too much wrong with this movie to give it anything higher. Right now. There's aspects of my rating that are four out of four, but there's aspects of my rating that are one out of four. So yeah. two seems fine and dandy. Right? Now, more than ever before, I've wanted to like it. Actually went in trying to enjoy it, and I think I liked it a little more than ever before. But It's so funny, because I went in liking this movie, and I was like, <laughs> John, why do you hate this movie? Look how cool this shit is, like when we were in the castle. Yeah. And then it kept going. It's way too much. The movie is so overindulgent. That's a good word. <laughs> That's a good word. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Uh, so let's move on. Yeah, let's talk about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. No one need ever die. I will stop this. No, you can't achieve death. We won't know unless we try. I warn you, what you are suggesting is not only illegal, it is immoral. What's happened to you? Yes. That's the combination. From 1994, directed, secretly written, and... Secretly written. Oh, we'll get to it. And starring Kenneth Branagh, based on the 1818 novel by Mary Shelley, currently sitting at 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb, a 39% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 2.5 out of 4 Eberts, and a 2.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Huh. Okay, so before we get anywhere, secretly written? Because who's, oh, who's, who's credited as the screenwriter? Frank Darabont. Okay, so Frank Darabont, if you guys don't know, wrote and directed The Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, one of the screenwriters for Dream Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Like, this guy fucking works. Quoted as saying. Yeah, I already know this quote. The best script I ever wrote and the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, writer and director of The Mist as well. Like, that's that's another one of his recent uh, credits. I like that movie. Yeah, that movie's good. So what you're saying is uh, Kenneth Branagh also wrote this movie? He or has, rewrote? Yeah, so he did a rewrite of the script, but it was uncredited. Yeah, and, and that was the shooting script. I believe so. I'm sure it was the final shooting script. This film was actually originally going to be directed by Francis Ford Coppola, which is why it's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, because that's how he titles his films. Yeah, like Mario Puzo's Godfather. But since, and denounced the film when it was released because of the cinematic liberties that Kenneth Branagh took, including writing in that entire fire sequence with The Bride of Frankenstein. Okay, well, we're going to get to that. I'm just saying that that's entirely him. Okay. That is uh, written and directed by Kenneth Brown a moment. <laughs> okay, well, if you want to know my thoughts on that, you're going to have to listen on. <laughs> uh, yeah, Francis Ford Coppola remained as a producer for the movie. I think it, even at one point, Tim Burton was in talks to direct it. That would have been cool. That would have been cool. It would have been I too, guess. yeah. 
It would have been too... It would have been all bride. Strange. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? If it was right. Helena Bonham Carter, of course it would have been. Did you read anything about Helena Bonham Carter and Kenneth Branagh in this yeah, movie? Yeah! Holy w- shit! His wife was supposed to play her. and Emma then, Thompson, yeah. I know, and then nope, and then he fell in love with Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> right? So she got a role in some other movie, and he's like, yeah, no, 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 you should totally take that. That one's pretty good. Oh, Cast I... Helena Bonham Carter, and ugh, what a slime ball. Oh, well, shit happens. I mean... All is fair in love and movies. I guess. (laughs) It's hard, though. You spend every waking moment with somebody for two years, and if you have things in common, you know, like passion for film and art... And you're also acting in love. It's hard to not make connections with people. He went to method for this movie. Like, I get it, but, like, break up with your spouses first. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, the, the funniest story, completely unrelated to this, is Warren Beatty and Madonna in Dick Tracy. Because, like, Warren Beatty was kind of notorious for being a womanizer, I guess. Uh, He started sleeping with Madonna, and during the filming of the movie, also then broke up with her before filming was done, and said that it was the worst mistake he's ever made. He's like, if you're going to sleep with your star, make sure you break up with them after you're done the movie. (laughs) Because apparently it just ruined the rest of the shoot. Oh. Well, if you want to talk about seedy romances and you want to stay on topic, oh. Mary Shelley was 16 and pregnant when she eloped with Percy Shelley, yep. who was married and had a pregnant wife, really? who then killed herself. Wow. Yep. Oh, also, Mary Shelley's baby died, died after it was born. Yeah, wasn't it? And she had four children who died under the age of one. Damn. So if you want to know why Frankenstein has so many instances of creation and creators and life and death, it's probably because she had to deal with a lot of it. Also, her mother died during childbirth. Wow. It's a fucked up time, right? Those babies were born and then died later on? Or was it during birth, do you know? It might be a variation of the two, but her first child definitely died after it was born within the first year of childbirth. Wow. I mean, it's just sort of the times. Yeah, that did happen a lot. Yeah. And her mother probably died because of the doctor, because they didn't believe in germs. In fact, the guy who proposed, like, hey, germs are a thing, was lobotomized. Well, something we didn't mention in Dracula, they kept giving Lucy blood transfusions. All three of them. Right? Nobody cares what type of blood she is. Well, it doesn't work like that. No. It's like, oh, it seems that she died after the blood transfusion. Must have been possessed by the devil. Dracula. <laughs> right, right. Everybody saw it. Dracula Quick, came in here. Quick, her and put a bell just in case she's still alive. Oh, man. That bell thing's fucked. Do you think anybody ever rang that bell? Probably. You think so? Oh, fucking probably. I thought it was just like a superstitious have, thing. There was not a word for comas. <laughs> You're right, because I was just like, wait, the fuck are you talking about? They'd still have a heartbeat. I mean, like, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing back then. No, they had no idea. No idea at all. And yeah, doctors were just killing people left, right, and center because they'd go from handling dead bodies to delivering babies. Can we talk, can we skip ahead in this movie a little bit and just talk about the gross fucking amniotic fluid? That is the end half of the movie. Let's just, (laughs) like, let's just walk through it a little bit. Okay, sure. So the beginning, beginning of the movie, we're following a captain, played by Aiden Quinn, who is... A dreamboat! You like Aiden Quinn? I do. You like dudes with long hair and beards. (laughs) Okay, so dreamboat Quinn, uh, (laughs) Captain Quinn, is uh, piloting a ship? Captaining a ship? Captaining a ship. Blinded by advancement of humanity. Advancement of humanity? Or just blinded by hubris? Whatever. What's the term? Passion? Figure? Obsession? Obsession! There we go. Yeah, he's he's taking a ship to the North Pole. He's trying to become the first person to the North Pole. They but get, damn, it's cold. But, oh, fuck, is it cold? They get stuck in some fucking ice, and then lo and behold, there are dudes walking around on that ice. One of them howling maniacally in the distance. Killing dogs, right? <laughs> 
Oh, man. And then another is slightly frozen Kenneth Branagh. Okay, so makeup department in this movie, clearly not. Do you think it's the makeup department's fault or Kenneth Branagh's fault? Because he does not look frostbitten. I'm going to say that everything is Kenneth Branagh's fault. (laughs) So, if in doubt, Kenneth Branagh. (laughs) Blame Kenneth Branagh, got it. Yeah, he's apparently near death from frostbite. But he's just, he's just rosy cheeks. That's it. Yeah, a little bit of uh, ice effect in his beard, but still looking pretty healthy. Got fleshy toned skin. Yeah. Blood, you can see blood moving in there. He's doing fine. He does not look like he's on death's door. No, but he does have enough energy to tell a two and a half hour fucking his story. His life story! <laughs> Young Victor Frankenstein lives in this stately house with his family, his uh, mum's housemaid, Justine, and the newly adopted Elizabeth. Mum is quite pregnant with child, but unfortunately she dies during labor. Mm-hmm. Baby survives. Yep. Flash forward. Victor wants to be a doctor of sorts, goes away to college, leaves Elizabeth, his then-sister, and now lover, maybe? Okay, the worst part about that entire thing is the party's going on. His goodbye party is happening behind them. They're in another room. They're out on the balcony. Oh, is that what it is? Like, how do brothers and sisters say goodbye? You're like, Ew! First of all, you don't talk about it, especially if you're thinking about fucking one another. Jesus, it's so gross. There's a lot of brother and sister talk after they're no longer brother and sister. By everybody, not just the two of them either, right? Like, everybody's like, well, you know he's not your real brother, and the two of you are betrothed now. You're like, what? Why do you gotta keep bringing it up? Yeah, and for the longest time, I've forgotten that Justine wasn't actually his sister. I didn't realize she was the housemaid. Yeah. And when Elizabeth goes to his college because he stopped writing he's obsessed, she's like, go to him. If he was mine, I would have already. I'm like, what is with these fucking sisters? Here's the thing. She is a sister. No. She, in, I, in the Wikipedia entry that I read, Justine is another adopted daughter, but also housemaid. It's like, you're one our adopted daughter. One of them daughter. was like, okay, you're the work and you're the wedding. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like one of you is going to have to be Cinderella, and I'm sorry, Justine, you were the last one through the door. <laughs> <laughs> you really shouldn't have been as nice to hold it for Elizabeth. <laughs> This is how things played out. Elizabeth has better curls, I'm sorry. (laughs) And, you know, we all know that Victor loves curls. Like, yes, (laughs) mum. I'm going to marry it. (laughs) It. Which is how they treat women in this film. (laughs) Oh, totally, yeah. One day after you're decomposed, we will be wed. (laughs) I shall write about it in my journal. Uh, So, yeah, Victor, school, obsessed with reanimating corpses for some reason. Oh, because he wants to avenge his mother's death. Avenge? Like, why did you die? You did not need to die, or something along those lines. Yeah, so we cut three years ahead, and it's him riding a horse to the top of a mountain where his mother's grave is, and he's like, no one need die, mother. Not even you. Not again. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yes, Kenneth Branagh, we We get it. We believe (laughs) you. Yeah. (laughs) Do you happen to look at any of his other directing credits? I did. (laughs) Are you surprised? Are you as surprised as I am? Uh, I only did it because I wanted to see how many he directed and starred in, because I thought it was going to be all of them. Um, and I wasn't wrong. Yeah, you're, you're pretty close. He, I'm sure he plays some small part in Cinderella. I was going to say, is he in Cinderella at all? Because I, I don't think know that if might we saw be. It. Yeah, no, we didn't see it. Okay. And Thor? He directed the Thor? Weird. He's not in that, is he? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Oh. Yeah. So, Victor Frankenstein is at school. Did you find that when he was in school, everybody had to say, Victor Frankenstein of Geneva, you quiet down. Like, they all said that he was from Geneva. Well, I think the point is that he's aristocratic, and so they think he's a 
um, a rich boy who just wants the degree and doesn't actually want to do any do the work. Which is interesting because when he meets his friend, his friend is basically saying like, "Well, it'll be hard once I get my degree, and all I have to do is talk to old rich ladies about their made-up diseases or something, <laughs> made-up ailments." I'm with tired. <laughs> yeah. This dude's really just looking forward to, like, curing a bunch of hysteria. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Close your eyes and lie with your husband, but don't like it. <laughs> Think of England. <laughs> so, John yeah, Cleese gets murdered by some crazy hobo. Cleese, yeah. Stop saying ugly John Cleese. But they did. They uglyed him up. No, they made him more angular because he was too comedic looking. They gave him big teeth and a bad chin. <laughs> they uglied him up. He dies and... Frankenstein gets a hold of the book, which has all of his notes, which also includes the secret ingredients on how to reanimate a corpse. Yeah, so Victor Frankenstein literally does no research. He just waits for a guy who refuses to give him his own research to die, and then claims it as his own. Yeah. Yeah. Reanimates a corpse successfully in a big vat of amniotic fluid and uh... some eels and some other doodads and contraptions, he of which were never written in Mary Shelley's novel because she doesn't describe how he figured it out. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. genius. It's I a mean, just, secret. Uh, just a lightning bolt would have been cool enough, right? I don't even think it's tied to lightning in the book. Ah, I don't remember. Recall. Lightning is his fascination because electricity is like the bringer of light and life. The subtitle of the book is The Modern Prometheus. You know, Prometheus giving fire to the humans. I think through lightning was the idea. It's not like he just walked down from Mount Olympus well, he with stole a torch it from and he was Zeus, like, Yo. yeah. Okay, so perfect. Yeah, he stole it from Zeus. It's lightning, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Victor doesn't do any work in this. Nope, not at all. And he reanimates Frankenstein. It's also during He reanimates a... the I'm sorry. The sharp featured man. Yeah. Is that the term? We're just gonna call him the monster. Yeah, we, unlike Kenneth Branagh, I know. <laughs> refuse <laughs> to allow anybody on set to refer to Robert De Niro's monster as a monster. He had to be known as the is it the sharp featured man? Is that what it is? Yeah. That's the yeah, that's his name in the credits. He's not sharp featured though. That's dumb, yeah. Like why couldn't they call him the Hulk or something? <laughs> The creature. The creature would have been fine. And I think that's how it's referred to in the book, right? The creature? Mm, he's got a lot, like, like, a lot of people call him the devil. And there's a bunch of different names for him because he doesn't have a name. So after he reanimates him, there's this really extended, really uncomfortable sequence where Robert De Niro's naked in the amniotic fluid and he can't stand up. Did you happen to read what that amniotic fluid was made of? Probably jello. <laughs> yeah, it's gelatin. Yeah, you're right. 100%. And it was so slippery that most of them falling down in that scene is real. And it burst open his suit. Oh. Because obviously Robert De Niro doesn't look like that. He just looks like a It was like a, a really long corpse. scene, but then it ends with the monster getting impaled on some hooks and stuff. I don't even think he's impaled. And then flying up through the sky, and he's just dangling there all pathetic. So here's here's the thing. He, he manages to get him over to where he's just got some random chains hanging. No big <laughs> deal, right? Like, this is just my chain storage beam. For reanimating corpses. Yeah, so he, he puts his arms on it so that way he can stand up. Oh. And then accidentally hits the counterweight. He gets sent up. And he's like, no! But then he's like regarding this dangling naked Ken doll of ugly proportions. In a Christ figure. Like, mm. oh, what have I done? <laughs> I mean, that whole scene is 
pretty fucking obvious to me, and it goes on way too long. It's, it's like Bambi. It's like a horse trying to learn how to walk for the first time. It's, it's so long. The fact that they're wallowing around in amniotic fluid, too, is just... I'm sure they fucking loved it. Like, this is brilliant. This is artistic. Like, it's disgusting, bro. How come when Elizabeth comes and his buddy comes to his apartment to see if he's okay, they're like, hey, how come it smells like a thousand dead babies in here? <laughs> it smells like a womb in here. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of disgusting. Uh, so, I mean, refrigeration doesn't even exist back then. So, like, to the fact that he got that amniotic fluid, he's getting, let's say, a few cups at a time per woman. He needs thousands of gallons of this stuff, right? How many births did he have to go to to steal amniotic fluid without anybody asking any goddamn questions? Also, it's a time of cholera, so the fact that he didn't contract cholera going to these, I would assume, hospitals or areas of women with poverty who are willing to sell their amniotic fluid, mm. he would probably have cholera. Yeah. But the monster escapes Yeah. and finds a farm family? Is that what happened? So, yeah, he escapes, and he's just kind of homeless in the streets of London? The people who are sort of terrified of the cholera outbreak right now see him, they mob up, they think he's the cause of it all, and they drive him out of town into the forest, where he hides out in the shed of some lowly little family of farmers. To which he watches for several months, learning how to speak and read, because he discovers Frankenstein's journal in his pocket. Did you not find these scenes with the family great like I, I loved it and I, I don't know if it's necessarily Robert De Niro or if it's just the script and the story I loved watching him discover humanity through this family it, it was so interesting to me too like I, I made a point to write it down that the monster finds humanity in observing life whereas Victor Frankenstein who's obs observing and sort of obsessed with death finds nothing but darkness and despair yeah, they're definitely a good counterbalance because neither of them is naturally good or naturally evil. You yeah. could argue one or the other for both of them. And they are good juxtaposition for each other. Also, does the creature's actions in and around that family, is that Mary Shelley or Kenneth Branagh trying to say that we are, as people, inherently good? Because he does nothing wrong as the creature. Like, he wakes up and he's like, Father! And it's like, Ah, get the fuck away from me, you hideous beast! And then the, the town pushes him out and he's got nothing to go off of. Like, he barely, he doesn't know who he is. He has no memories. But he has a desire to do things for this family just to help them out. Uh, I think it's just a human nature's need to connect. And I think it stems yeah. from that. That he needs to connect ah. and he knows and recognizes that he's there's something inhuman about him there's something hideous about him so he slowly yeah secretly helps this family and his plan is to connect and have a conversation with the grandpa of the family who is blind and this is all in the book yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah, I love it. Robert De Niro is the best thing about this movie. Oh my god. He is so well acted. Yeah, totally. He is an amazing monster. And it's not what you would expect because you think of Robert De Niro in a Frankenstein role as like lumbering around and not doing such a great job. And he's so surprisingly heartfelt mm -hmm. and tortured. There is more humanity in him than any other character in the film. And the makeup design on him I really enjoy. Oh, fantastic. It's the the curled lip yep. and the one blue eye and they've I think they've rehaired the one eyebrow so it's got a different arc than his regular eyebrow. Nice. It 
looks like they've put somebody else's eye on him, and it's fabulous. I love it. He looks awesome, and yeah, his skin tone too at the beginning is disgusting. And they jet they gradually heal the stitches mm-hmm. where he's been put together. You have those hard black stitches at the beginning. He starts removing them. That you see, you see the scar tissue forming and the pinkness. And they do a really good job with the makeup. I oh, yeah. love the makeup. Yeah. Which is why I find it so frustrating when Kenneth Branagh is dying of exposure, but it's just nothing. To that that is just Kenneth Branagh, the actor, going, no, 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 please don't make me ugly. Yeah, I, we're being a little cruel about Kenneth Branagh. I think so. He's a great actor. Like The problem is, is that you can see how self-serving his projects are, and it's likely an ego thing. He's not awful. He's not a terrible Victor no, Frankenstein. No, no. I don't think he should be directing himself, though. We found the same issue with the Orient Express, yeah. He's a good... Perot, but the camera follows him way too much, and the camera makes him too much the star than he should be. You, you could make an argument for that in that movie, just given that he is the main character in the books, and he is the person that we really follow. He really is the star. He's not charismatic enough, though, to hold my attention for as long as we watch him. Agreed. Which is my, my problem with modern Johnny Depp movies, that I love Johnny Depp, but we just, we have to watch him too much. Mm. He's too much of his own movies agreed but yes like i don't want to shit on kenneth Branagh too much but i just think too many decisions were made in this film to make him look good in a scene versus being true to the literature which Mm -hmm. when you're putting the original author's name and you're toting your film as close to the source material and a retelling of the story yeah the fact that we have moments where the Bride of Frankenstein is hurtling through fire, it, it's a little much. I never feel the despair and regret that Victor Frankenstein, the character, should have. Because it is a tragedy. Everybody around him, you know, despite the fact that he is trying to conquer death, everybody around him, the closest people to him all die tragedies keep happening but he keeps riding away on a white horse like he's the hero of the story absolutely and he is the villain of the story and like at any point where he is given any sort of avenue to correct things he just does whatever the fuck he wants and you know like that's not necessarily bad for the character i get it he's a human and you know characters don't make good decisions right like we're all gonna suffer the children for one reason or another but i don't believe it when i watch him especially the end of the movie when he's recounting this as a cautionary tale to aiden quinn's character like basically do not be like me you will ruin your life turn back now while you still have a chance that does not convey unfortunately it's there in the story but it's not there in the actor this victor frankenstein is quite arrogant yeah yeah yeah, perfect right (laughs) just coming back to that family i love that they call him the spirit in the woods because he's just this helpful thing and they leave him cookies and christmas presents they right they left him christmas presents and a flower and tragically because you know dad's blind granddad is blind when the family comes home and he's talking to them they think that he's attacking dad they drive him out and he's crying he's he's at like his lowest point and when he remembers the flower they left him so he rushes back to show it to them like i'm the spirit in the forest everything's fine and they've taken off not only do they not want him to be part of their society they are willing to relocate to get the fuck away from him because they do not want any contact with him 
He is a man without a country, right? It is, uh So he sets foot towards Geneva. Yeah, set Hell... fire to that house for some reason. Yep. Yeah. Hellbent on revenge, he stumbles across the littlest Frankenstein. William. Thank you. In the novel, he at first wants to befriend this boy because he needs help getting directions around, but then he discovers the locket and realizes he's a Frankenstein and fuck this boy, <laughs> I'm gonna use him in my plot to revenge yeah. and murders him. Pins Justine on the crime. In the novel, puts the boy's locket in Justine's pocket. Yeah, and in the novel, isn't William's death the reason Victor goes back to Geneva? Yeah, he's still at school, I think. Got it. So Justine gets hanged because murder most foul. Yeah. And everybody's like at the drop of a hat. Everybody in every town everywhere at this time ready to mob. Oh, so right for lynching. Right. Oh my God. One woman was like, that's the man responsible for cholera. Everybody grabbed their pitchforks. They're like, this woman with no evidence whatsoever killed a boy. Like, let's hang her. But I mean, if you've seen Twitter lately... Okay, so nothing's changed. We haven't learned much. (laughs) Twitter is such a nasty place. (laughs) Yeah. People are so angry there. It's at this point where Victor seeks out the monster and they have... uh, A one-on-one. Right? They have just a little powwow, a little talk, a little chit-chat. Oh, and if you don't like this movie or you haven't revisited this movie in a while, you should for this scene and for Robert De Niro in this scene. Oh, absolutely. I think this is the highlight of the entire movie. Oh, It's a shame this movie got so panned because he could have won an Oscar Mm -hmm. for that fucking flute bit. Oh, my God. (laughs) When this conversation started, I started writing down quotes like, oh, that's great. Oh, this is great. Oh, that's great. And it occurred to me, I'm literally just writing Writing down down all of the lines. Yeah. And, And from both of them, like Kenneth Branagh's performance in it is a little theatrical, um, but it's still great. The dialogue is fucking incredible. And I'm sure it has to be taken right out of the novel because it's fucking beautiful. (laughs) It's insane. Everything about it. There is more philosophical dialogue in that scene than any movie that I've seen since this movie came out. There is more about the human condition and the questions of life that we don't understand, like our purpose, like the idea of a soul and what it does. And Robert De Niro's acting in it is so brilliantly restrained. Kenneth Branagh has to put on this face and he's got to be mad and angry and he's, he has to feel responsible and he's got guilt. And Robert De Niro basically sits there. Robert De Niro believes that he is that character who could crush a person's skull, who has done it, and has lived with more pain and suffering than anybody else in existence. But he doesn't show it. He just has it, and we believe it looking at him. Yeah, you know that he's naturally filled with rage. It's insane, right? It's weird that that's an ability he has, because you see it in so many mob movies as well. Everything he's in where he's menacing, you believe. (laughs) Yeah. Part of the reason why I like that scene, apart from the fact that it's well acted and the dialogue is great, is that in modern day, Frankenstein is depicted as a lumbering kind of stupid beast. And he is subhuman, where I would agree he's subhuman in this, but not because of any fault of his own. Yeah. I love how he questions what he is. Yeah. He asks which part of him was able to read and what part of him knew how to play the flute. Right. He talks about being filled with so much rage, and we know that at least the majority of him is a serial murderer or a violent murderer who happened to kill the person whose recipe Frankenstein stole. Yeah. We know there's an evil person that's at least part of him. And the fact that he comes back with... We'll assume he's a new consciousness. He's not an old consciousness that's awoken. That's how I always looked at it, yeah. He's a new 
creation who is a hybrid of all of these other people that he's comprised. And it's got this nature versus nurture that the nature of him is rage, at least partly. Mm -hmm. And there's another nature of him that's well-spoken and intellectual. And there's a creative side to him. And it, it just poses so many philosophical questions that you don't normally get from a Hollywood monster. <laughs> it's insane. It's one of the most brilliant moments in any monster movie I've ever seen. And honestly, once you get to the scene, and even with the rest of the movie, I walk away thinking, why do we ever need to do another undead story? We should just always do different Frankenstein. More Frankenstein! <laughs> That's all it comes down to. There, there is no story that needs to be told about an undead monster that isn't Frank, that isn't in Frankenstein. Like, sure, zombies are different. I'll say zombies are a little different. But they are essentially just a non-conscious version of Frankenstein. Well, zombies are more about illness. Frankenstein is about human progression. I'd say it's the first we're afraid of AI. Sure, yeah. Or also the first maybe atheist horror you could argue story that. in that it also questions the female condition on having children and bringing life into the world. It's got a lot of questions it asks, I would argue. Yeah. And, and yeah, very progressive for being written in 1818 by an 18-year-old woman. Right. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, at 18, you're definitely at that age where you're like, is God even real? Maybe after having, you know, a few of your kids die too, you'd probably be pondering that a lot. Her dad was a notable atheist. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. And for 1818, that was bonkers. Oh, for sure. Like, he's lucky he didn't get stoned. Probably the money. That's probably why they And her mom was a feminist. She was a well-known feminist author. So she had, like, the right cookings of a literary genius. That's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of this is about intelligent design and creation. The idea of a creator. And if a person can just create another human being, does that even mean there's a god? And, I mean, you could say the same thing about creating a human being the natural way, like having a baby. You could say the same thing. like Or creating a computer that can think. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah, of course. It's in this discussion that he makes his demand. He wants a bride. He wants a companion, a friend. Fucking brilliant. I, I love this script. Mm. Um, well, I like the Frank Darabont parts of the script. Or maybe uh, the book. <laughs> or maybe just the goddamn book. <laughs> Yeah, he, he demands a bride. And the only the only sort of deviation from the book is that Victor reanimates Elizabeth after the monster kills her. Because he's, he's currently working on creating a bride for the monster, which he then fears will either be more evil than the first monster he's created, or they will go off and create an entire race of evil people and it will be the end of humanity. Like, they will just continue to multiply and eventually take over the Earth because they're super strong and intelligent, apparently, right? And who knows if they can even fucking die? We have no idea. Well, he can live in Antarctica, so I don't think so. Also, weird thing about Victor bringing more people back to life. He resets up his studio and has just amniotic fluid and eels just on hand. At the ready, right? In case he needs to reanimate another corpse. Oh my god. <laughs> Here, here's one thing that I could not get out of this movie. How long does it take to bring a person back from the dead? It looks like an evening. Right? He, but but uh, because he is taking on this project again and it's consuming him and it's it's going to kill you again, Victor, she decides, I'm leaving. I can't have any part of this because you like apparently I'm no longer part of your life. I have to go. If that's the case, 
she totally left in the span of an afternoon. We, it makes it look as though it's been weeks of toiling and working. It's the last straw, John. It's the last straw? It's the last straw. Do you know how much time it would take to pack up all of those bonnets and hoop she's skirts? She's got maids. Do you know? Okay, fine, but like... She doesn't need her hoop skirts for where she's going. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, to me, it looks as though he's been wasting away up in his studio for a month. She's had enough of it and she's taking off. But once she's dead, later that evening, he's got her back. Can I just say the Elizabeth leaving scene is fucking boring? Oh my god, it's the worst. And it's the melodrama equivalent of the absence scene in Dracula, and it's just so blah. Oh, yeah, like... Love, 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 love. Back and forth. Like, what, (laughs) what do you want to say to me, Victor? Don't go. Just that. Don't go. She wants you to let her in on your life and why you're fucking obsessed with oh. the majority of your adulthood. <laughs> I just I just remember the lines like, I'm worried, I've done something terrible, and I'm worried that if I tell you, I'll lose you. She's walking out the door. <laughs> no, but she She's replies... holding a suitcase. If you don't tell me, you will lose me. You're like, fuck off, guys. Like, you can't say one line of dialogue and then repeat it with one word, just switch from the back to the front. Like, it... Poetic. Oh, it's like those stupid daily affirmations you always hear. I like Helena Bottom Carter in this simply because I like Helena Bottom Carter. Yeah, I like Helena Bottom Carter and everything Helena Bottom Carter's in. Yeah, she plays Helena Bottom Carter real well. There's one line I do really hate, and it's when he's showing her lightning, and they're all lying on that blanket, and oh. they do lightning, and then their hands are all electrocuted. Yeah. And then he's like, How do you feel, Elizabeth? And she's like, Alive! <laughs> 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 oh, and we, the audience, are just like, oh, this is good. This whole movie's about death. Yeah. Uh, but her as the bride of Frankenstein is fucking cool. Oh, and yeah. And I believe in my heart of hearts that if they actually reboot the bride of Frankenstein, it should go to her again. Yeah. And, and... As a modern uh, universal monster version of Bride of Frankenstein, you could just film her in black and white and she's already there. Oh, yeah, totally. She'd do her own hair and makeup. Yes. If they do go through with that movie and they cast Angelina Jolie, I will always look at that as a missed opportunity to bring Helena Bonham Carter back. To save the Dark Universe, they need to deviate from known stars in the monster roles, I believe. Honestly, I secretly hope it's dead. The Dark Universe will be superhero movies, but with your universal monsters. Well, hopefully they've given up on that, and anything that resurges will be maybe given to Guillermo del Toro. Oh, dope. Right? Yeah, her as the bride is brilliant. She's got such a beautiful naivete on her face when she awakens, and it's really demeaning to say this, but she looks at both Victor and the monster like a dog would Mm. where you can see the cogs moving but there's a a lack of understanding yeah and you can see her trying to piece together it is so dark and haunting and it touches your heart in a like oh yeah and the moment that she realizes what she is and what he's done to her she just decides to kill herself it's brilliant. It's so quick. It's it's done so well. I love that, you know, it's it's something out of desperation he does to bring her back for himself. The monster shows up and says, she's beautiful. Can she's we, mine. Can we just say that he's threatened with, if you don't give me a bride, I'm going to take your bride the second you're married to her. Right? Yeah. The next scene, they are getting married. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Victor, you idiot. Have you learned nothing? He killed your little brother at this point. Justine is dead. Your mom is dead. He's killed your dad. Your dad. You just don't dead. know yet. You don't know yet, but <laughs> your dad is dead. Yep, everybody. He's just an idiot. He's like, oh, I'll just hire some guards. They'll be fine. 
And he also, he put the monster's initial death down to cholera. He's like, cholera, I'll get him. Yes, and then of goes yeah. home to live about his happy life like normal. So Helena Bonham Carter crushes a gas lantern above her head, engulfs in flames, and then we have the riskiest shot that I've ever seen. Some poor stunt actor had to run down the longest fucking hallway. That was a long shot that they served us. You know there's a beginning and an end to that that we don't see. Oh, yeah. Where that person is running engulfed in flames. And then, like, every ten feet, boom, 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 more fire. First of all, the hallway is not going to explode like that. But secondly, why? That person, there's no way that person didn't get hurt. I know. I just, I felt... So bad. It was hard to watch knowing there was a real person in there, and you're like, this is not worth it. Yeah, like this. (laughs) This is an 1818 novel. Why we have fire explosions? That's nuts. I think it's supposed to be like the whole house gets caught on fire. It goes down like the fall of the house of Usher, and it's literally like not only do the the people that he love he loves die, but also his entire lineage and any memory of them is gone as well, right? The rest of the movie is pretty simple. Uh, he chases the monster into the Arctic. Well, there's nobody left. Everybody's dead. So. Yeah, you know. He... So he's got nothing left but to chase down Frankenstein to kill him once and for all. Yeah, and if he, he dies from exposure. When Aiden Quinn comes in to see him again, the monster is there, sitting over his dead body, weeping. He's like, why do you cry? And he's like, he was my father. And you're like, oh. Yeah, that's great, right? <laughs> like, throughout the whole thing, we have, like, the creator versus creation aspect of it. And then we maybe forget the fact that it's it's a father and a son, I guess you could say. Like, that's that's brilliant. I, I know that it's not necessarily a surprise, but every time it comes, I'm always... I'm well, and the fact that Frankenstein is at the funeral service that they provide up there on the ice yeah. is poetically sad. Oh, totally. And, and also right before that, too, where they're like, what's your name, Beast? Who are you? And he's like, he never gave me a name. Like, oh, oh, right? Yeah. Name him, for God's sakes. Yeah. Call him Boat. <laughs> Call him Boat. <laughs> um, but then the ice breaks up and... The captain decides that they're going to head south, which at the beginning of the movie was his... He was only searching to go forward and ahead, despite the fact that it would kill most, if not all, of them. Mm-hmm. And the tale has changed his heart, and he decided that it's better to just go home. Quit so, while you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not. Uh, so what is your rating of this film? My rating of this film is is the same as, as Dracula. It's a 2 out of 4. Uh, Mine is also a two out of four. <laughs> right? And it, it's so funny. It's like, I like this movie a lot more, but there's a, there's so much going against it. Versus Dracula, where it's like, I really don't want to like this movie, but goddamn, does it really go well in some aspects. The interesting thing is that I like Dracula more than I like this movie. Mm-hmm. But Dracula is working against itself, and this movie is just not a great adaptation. Agreed. Uh, honestly, if it wasn't for Robert De Niro, there's no way I would consider this movie a two out of four. I agree. That he really brings this movie up. Without him, it would fall really flat. It would basically just be Kenneth Branagh with an unknown actor. I'm so glad Robert De Niro's in this movie. He's the only reason I watch it. And I will continue to watch it for that. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to have to throw this one to you guys out there on Twitter. Head over to at NOFS Podcast and let us know who you think is the better literary adaptation. Bram Stoker's Dracula... Or Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And that's the film, not the book. Don't vote on the book, vote on the movie. Yep.
But thanks again for listening, guys. We're going to be back at you again next Thursday with another episode. So be sure to subscribe wherever you're grabbing this so you can catch the next one in your feed. And while you're there, if you can please leave us a five-star rating and review to help us get the show in front of more fiends. The show is supported by listeners like yourself. Head over to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street to check out all the bonus content available to you if you become a monthly supporter of the show. But that's it from us this week. Don't animate any corpses. And stay stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the Nightmare on Film Street. Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.